Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with Malibu, California-based jazz pianist, composer, and producer, Lisa Hilton. We caught up with her on April 30th, 2020, during the coronavirus lockdown. And we talked about how she has been doing during this very surreal time on the planet. She is full of West Coast cool energy, and her recordings have a subtle historical reference from a wide variety of genres and eras, sounding distinctly 21st century and uniquely her own style. She talked about her career and the hopeful future. Enjoy. Joe Domino with Neon Jazz. Yay! How are you? Hey, I'm good. What's going on? <laughs> um, I'm having a really good time at the piano today. What's going on for you? Oh, not too much. Where exactly are you located? In Southern California in Malibu. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So how are you holding up with all of this stuff that's happening? Well, I had to cancel my April shows, and so then I just went into composing a little earlier than I had planned, and composing is my favorite season, and it works really well in the spring and summer when we have the longer days and, you know, little brighter skies, so it's, it's, it was, the first month was rough, the second month I think I'm doing okay with and, and making the most of it. We're going to see how this next month goes, right, Joe? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the truth. Yeah, yeah. We're just kind of here in Kansas City. I, I, it seems to me as though we're flattening the curve. Uh, May 3rd, the state opens up a little bit. They're going to do soft openings, and they have a plan. And our mayor in Kansas City, Quentin Lucas, is a pretty astute cat. He's been really on top of all of this. And the county I'm in, I'm in the hometown of, uh, Pat Matheny and Lee Summit, Missouri. So our hometown opens up the 15th, but it's soft openings. It's not go out and let's go crazy. So things are starting to kind of get to that point where it's like, all right, let's start being humans again and retracting all of the rules that we've been told we shouldn't have been doing since we were born. So <laughs> are you af are you afraid of being normal again, Joe? I'm a little afraid of being normal again. <laughs> you know what? I'm a daredevil, so I'm not. Um I, I just I'm the I'm the guy I was watching with my wife and stepdaughter last night a show where a couple firefighters had to jump from one building to another and they just looked horrified, and I'm like, what are you guys talking about? Let's go. I, that's the kind of person I am. So, But I also, I also am a realist in, in the fact that the older I get, I've been around enough to know that there's really no normal, and change is just a part of everything that goes uh -huh. into it. And you just have to embrace it. Like, for instance, they release what the way, the way baseball might look, and they're like seven-inning games, doubleheader taking every team and putting them in three divisions, both American national. I'm like, that's kind of cool. They really wanted to kind of, you know, they really kind of wanted to do some things that were different in baseball. Maybe it takes a pandemic to do it. I mean, this, this yeah. could reverberate in some ways that we never thought were possible. And what really is normal? Normal is the what yeah. we all got used to, you know? So I, I hope, in fact, I've been saying to myself, I refuse to go back to some of the same ways. And I think I'm an artist. I don't work in an office every day. But those people that are commuting Monday through Friday, that's crazy. They should not be doing that. It's so much better for our environment. We should do Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday or something. But we should not have everybody driving every day. It's just ridiculous. 
Anyhow, I hope that we have some good permanent changes too. And it's weird that came about by a pandemic. You know, um, what was so unusual in January, I was writing, um, you know, about the new year, and I wrote in my journal that I really thought something surprising was going to happen this year. And then, da da da, <laughs> a few weeks later, we we have a, a pandemic in, in our world. So. I guess I knew something different was going to happen, but I didn't expect this. <laughs> so let's talk about projects, you know, what okay. you've been working on during this and what it's like to have music out during a pandemic when people can listen to it at home, but you can't necessarily back it up with live music. Yeah, well, it's a huge industry, the live music or live entertainment um, industry. So um, as Musicians, of course, we feel it, but I feel it for everybody. I feel it for, you know, my girlfriend that works at Steinway and my other friend that works at Carnegie Hall and all the, everyone that works at some kind of performing arts center or jazz club or, you know, it's just huge. It just reverberates. So, yes, I'm compassionate to myself and artists, but I, it's just a huge, industry that is absolutely stopped right now, and I don't see uh, that moving forward much. I have seen some people, like I saw Julian Lodge was rescheduling his shows for fall, and I thought, oops, I hope that's going to work out. I don't know. I have my next show right now is January Carnegie Hall. Not sure that they're going to be up and about by then. I hope so the first week in January, but um, or I guess January 10th, so I hope that that will be okay. You know, as an artist, we're flexible. Um, you know, I talked to my bass player. He's recording, trying to step a recording at home. I've seen other, you know, a lot of people doing home concerts. For me, like I said, this is my composing time, so I just start a little bit earlier, and it's really fun. I have... Uh, an album basically ready to go. Now I'm just working on, um, you know, practicing and prepping for the studio, but I was able to write, you know, a dozen new songs in, uh, you know, about four to six weeks. That's what you call making good use of your <laughs> of your pandemic time. Yeah. Your quarantine time, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think to, I hate to say it, but I think that when there's a lot of, stress or turmoil going on, what artists do is that's how they work things out. They are creative. So if times are difficult, I can use that. If times are good, I can use that. You know, I if times are boring, I could probably use that too. But uh, I just was listening today to a new blues that I wrote and I thought, oh, that's a serious song. Um, but a lot of other things are very uplifting. So that's what artists do. They try and make some kind of sense or I don't know if the word is sense, but they try and create some kind of direction about what we're going through and what we will be going through. We need to have a little bit of a forward sense or intuition as to what our world will be like when that music or that art comes out. Um, so I think the new music will be out this fall. So, but we'll see. Can I get into the studio? I don't know. Will it be safe, Joe? I'm not sure. You know, there's so many questions. 
but we have to just move forward thinking that it's going to work out pretty soon, right? Yeah, that's true. That's the thing about it. It's all a bunch of ambiguity, so we just need to see how it pans out. But let's go back to the beginning of your life. Talk to me. You're from California. You were born in a small town. Talk to me a little bit about your childhood and how jazz became your life. Oh, okay. Well, I grew up in a really musical family. I It was kind of like the sound of music, only it was all instrumental music. You know, I had my grandfather playing the violin, and my sister played the violin, and my other sister played the violin, and my other sister played the violin, and somebody played the flute, and I played the flute, and my mom played the piano. You know, just a lot of instruments and a lot of stringed in the instruments around in there. And there's always music going on in the house, and I really always wanted to play the piano. It seemed like from, I don't know, like preschool or something. And But my mom said, you know, uh, you, you're not going to practice. You don't, I'm not going to give you lessons. You won't practice. And I said, oh, yes, I will. And she said, well, your sister Sandy didn't practice. And I said, yeah, but she... She plays the violin. She doesn't need to practice the piano anymore. And she said, well, your sister Sharon, I gave her piano lessons, and she didn't practice. And I was like, yeah, yeah, she she didn't practice, but I'm going to practice. Uh, and she said, well, you're going to have to wait till you're eight years old for lessons. If you still want lessons then, then you can have less piano lessons when you're eight. Well, I couldn't wait, so I basically taught myself how to play with a little colored keyboard guide. And uh, then, of course, I got bored with the little colored dots, so I started writing some of my own simple tunes then. So I was always enraptured with music, always in love with the piano. Um, It doesn't really matter what time you start lessons, because if you want to learn, you're going to learn. And when you do get your lessons, you'll learn pretty fast, because you've been waiting so long. And then... um, I didn't really know anything about jazz or blues other than what we listen to in the house, which is a wide variety. Um, But that's a good basic for anybody that would go into composing. But then I fell in love with uh, B.B. King live at Cook County Jail. I was young. I didn't even know where Cook County was. I don't think it, it dawned on me why he was playing at the jail, that he was you know, uplifting the spirits of of everyone in prison there, which is one of the coolest things, actually, if you've ever heard, that we've ever heard, um, and probably knew at that time for someone to do that. I listened to that over and over again, and that just kind of started to move my piano and my composing and playing in a new direction. Um, I still know how to play a little tiny bit of flute, but I have a huge, broad love for all kinds of music, but especially jazz and blues. So what was the first live jazz show you saw where you thought, man, that's something I would love to do? (laughs) Oh, gosh, I don't know what that was. Um, I guess that's not a very good answer, huh? Um, The first, I think the first couple of concerts that I saw were um, blues-oriented. I think I never felt that I could do what, you know, when I see a live performance, it always seems different than what I am. 
um, and how I play, but it was just always kind of came from my interior. It came from my spirit or my soul that desire to play music in that way. I wanted to play music that was expressive. Uh, so uh, I don't think it was externally driven. It was internally driven. So um, even though I admire someone or I see someone play, they don't affect how I play or my um, my need to play or my need to compose. That kind of is internally driven. So it wasn't like I saw someone or heard someone and that made me want to. It was just more who I am as a person. It was nice to discover that I liked some kind of music better than, say, classical music or pop music. I found the music that I really loved. So it was more a recognition of what I needed to play. Yeah. Yeah, I get it, for sure. So what do you like best about being a musician? Oh, I get to be creative every day. When I'm composing, I sit down at the piano, and it's almost like going on a vacation <laughs> while you're sitting in one spot. You know, I just start on something, and then hours later, I kind of come up for air. And it feels like I've been off to Never Never Land or off on some kind of vacation. It's just this extremely exciting and engrossing experience. Um, when I'm actually practicing for a show, that's something different. That's a different kind of experience where, you know, it's a, that's more like working out or, or um, you know, heading to the playoffs or something like that. It has more of a physical component to it. But when you're just being creative for hours, that is really the most exciting experience, I think. Right on. So why do you love jazz? I think that, well, when you think about it, classical music was needed for, it was created and it was fulfilled the need for um, the Western European society at the time. So there were waltzes and there were gavots and mazurkas and holonaises, um, a lot of music that was derived from the nationalistic dances, I suppose, or from the rhythms of that area. Well, we have an all-new society, a different continent. Um, you know, the people in America are from uh, different backgrounds. And so our music sounds like our our country, our continent. And that's what Dad's is, is from America. Uh, and there are a lot of influences from all over, and classical's in there too. And classical was influenced by America. But I'm I'm proud of this music, and it just feels appropriate. I do play classical every once in a while, and <laughs> I I have to go back and play jazz. I really can't play classical more than about 45 minutes. <laughs> I I do enjoy it, but it's jazz is just that's who we are. This is the music from here. This is what we should be playing. I think in the, well, I think soon we won't call it specifically jazz. We won't call it, um, we'll call it um, 21st century music because I think music is blending. We don't have specific genres so much anymore. And I think that you know, jazz as we know it is more from, you know, mid-century, last 
last century. But as we move forward, I think there's so much of a blending. Now we have the Internet. We can listen to music from any century, from any country, at any minute. So the music that we're listening to in this century will sound different than the music from last century. So I think that jazz and classical and um, perhaps New Age and, and these different related instrumental music will just be known as 21st century music. So if you have a dream tonight and you run into your younger self around the time you were just starting out and you could give your younger self advice, what would it be? <laughs> My younger self would have no idea that I would have gone to New York. And I'm, I'm from a small town, you know. I went to New York and I recorded with the greatest players in the world. And um, I have a... a a real piano, <laughs> and you know my 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 younger small town self would absolutely not believe all the cool things that um, I grew up to get to do. That's for sure. Um, I guess I would I would have told myself that anybody compose can compose. I I don't think I realized that for a long time. I thought music was just already composed. But then I realized that I could compose myself. I didn't have to be Mozart. Um, of course, I couldn't. But uh, that, um, you know, I think that would be the, the biggest kind of advice I would give myself. But I really ha think I've lived a remarkable life. I didn't even step on an airplane, I think, until I was 20. So to be able to you know, tour and play at Carnegie Hall and uh, do all the things a jazz musician can do these days is pretty remarkable. So I would be pretty, I would say, just you wait. <laughs> right on. You know, the one thing that you mentioned is playing with some amazing players over the years. You know, during this time of an absence of live music and being reflective, what are some memories with some legends and luminaries that you had that really kind of make you feel good during this time? Oh, well, I'm thinking of everyone. I have to say, Joe, is that so many of the people that I work with live in the New York and New Jersey area. And so, of course, I'm thinking of all my friends, you know, my bandmates and their families, um, thinking about them so much right now um, and contacting them and um, just really caring so much about everyone in the New York and New Jersey area the studios, you know, all the people that work in the industry. Um, there's just, you know, a, a feeling of, of course, sadness and compassion and empathy that is going on. Um, I have always said that I always wanted to work with the best people who are also nice. And so when you look at all the people I work with, you know that they're not only brilliant, um, players, but that they have great personalities, too. I first person that always comes to mind is Kristen McBride. He is He will keep you laughing all day long in the studio. I've worked, um, I've only worked with him on uh, one recording, but uh, he has just this really warm, likable personality. I love working with J.D. Allen, who's from out of Detroit on tenor saxophone. Um, just, you know, when you work with people for about 10 years, they 
they become like family. Um, but so, so many great memories and great performances when you're in the studio or on the stage. You really don't know um, what will come out. It's always a surprise. And so when you're playing with the best players, there's been some amazing, amazing times in the studio as well as the stage. But recording last album, Chalkboard Destiny, it was just, you know, front row seats to the most remarkable performances. Um, I just felt really most luckily, lucky on that recording session. That was last, um, I think we were in the studio last, the end of July or the first part of August, I think. And uh, that, w that was just terrific. <laughs> J.D. Allen was amazing, solos going on, and Rudy Royston was just top-notch on drums, and Lucas had all his cool rhythms on bass. So that was my very favorite recording sessions ever. So, you know, we're going to get to the end of this, and we're going to get back to live music. So my question is, what realization do you hope that both musician and audience member gets from this absence of live music when we do come back? Well, I think there'll be a realization that nothing affects us like live music. Uh, we can come close to it with recorded music, but it's just not the same thing. And there's this um, a, a depth and a connection that happens with live music I think, I don't know, I think the, the world will just celebrate when we can have live music again in just like a very spontaneous way, I think. Um, that confetti will come flying through the clouds or something. <laughs> that there'll yep. be this, you know, relief and uplift that just, you know, flutters around the universe. We can have, watch live music again. It will be such a, a feeling of uplift that that, that freedom, um, maybe one of our last freedoms that we get back going through this crisis. And I think that there will just be a deep, deep sense of thankfulness when that does come back, even though it's going to be a little while, I think. So um, I, I feel so much for everybody that, that especially that works at, you know, as I mentioned, the clubs and the performing arts venues all around, all the people that are there primarily because they love it. <laughs> you know, they, we all just love this music and we're all hoping that things will come around pretty soon. And maybe in certain parts of the country it will come, come sooner. But um, I know January 10th, Carnegie Hall next year, I hope that that will be there. So uh, it might take a little while for New York, but we're looking forward to it. Wonderful. So everyone has a perception of you, your family, your friends, and your fans, that you're living your life. Who do you think you are? <laughs> well, um, hmm, who do I think I am? Um, well, my girlfriends call me Sunshine. Um, I think I am the, you know, I'm the jazz girl, you know, I'm the piano girl. I'm um, really deeply passionate about composing, deeply passionate about the piano. Um, and then I'm a, I'm a big nature lover, I think. 
everybody knows that. I spend a lot of time in nature, get a lot of inspiration from that. Try and be outside. Fortunately, in California, we can do that, um, you know, almost every day. So I think that that is brought into the music. But, you know, that's those are the primary things that my life revolves around besides, you know, family and friends as well, of course. Wonderful. Hey, thank you for taking the time out. Pretty extraordinary time in our history to talk about music and everything in between. I appreciate it. Yeah, and thanks for keeping the good tunes coming too as well. It's you important bet. that we uh, every everyone keeps uh, jazz alive in all the different ways. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in Malibu, Kansas City, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Lisa for her time, her cool, and her graciousness. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz all the time, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, support all of the arts and enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.